0: I think it's important to have a vision of um, how the world may look different, you know, when, when you, and what you're building towards, the world you're building towards without having defined the specifics of the solution. Because the specifics of the solution are often the wrong ones, and that will that, that will lead to immediate failure, if not delayed failure. and But if you don't have a sense of what you're aiming for um, at, a, at a grander level, you will also make decisions that are based on financials, based on investors, based on infinite number of mentors. And and those are not necessarily um, why the the team um, is, is working on something.
1: Welcome everyone to Reboot Health. I'm your host, Amol Deshpande. This podcast is for anyone wanting to learn more about the digital health ecosystem. Whether you're new to the space and not quite sure how and where to start, or if you're already deep down the rabbit hole and just want to learn from those ahead of you, this podcast is for you. We'll talk with the founders, investors, researchers, and clinicians changing healthcare to understand their trials, tribulations, and successes. In the process, we want to help you to uncover their know-how and also highlight the technology and trends shaping the future of digital health technology. Arash Zahur is a family physician and previous co-founder and CEO of Inkblot Therapy. Arash started Inkblot, a virtual mental health care platform, in 2015 to provide convenient, affordable, and confidential mental health services by using advanced technologies for intelligent matching and monitoring of effectiveness. Inkblot was acquired in 2021 by Greenshield Canada. Arash brings an insight into an exploding domain in digital technologies, mental health services. I'm excited to have Arash on the show to dig into the technologies that are disrupting this once sleepy and often neglected domain of healthcare. Arash, welcome to Reboot
0: Health. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
1: I am so looking forward to uh, digging into this area with you. So let's kind of get into it. But to start, Maybe you could just paint a little bit of a high level arc of kind of where you came from, where you are now, and more importantly, I guess, how did you come to the intersection of healthcare and technology?
0: So I'm I'm at heart a clinician, and um, you know five years ago I was very much uh, in clinical medicine. I was you know doing outpatient clinic, emergency medicine, inpatient care, uh, the full gamut, delivering babies and house calls and and the full works so as as old school and comprehensive as you as you can as you can get in canada nowadays and the you know as as a primary care provider the your primary job is to is to serve your community and the the needs of your community and and at that time i found that in the community that i was practicing in 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 Brantford, ontario the resources were not there to meet the needs of the community uh, especially in terms of mental health uh, and addictions and, you know, there was only so much I could do as, as a clinician, so, and it's not, it wasn't scalable. It didn't matter how many more hours I worked, it really was not something where I could meet demand. And so at that time, the question became, uh, what, what are the ways in which providing uh, higher quality care or providing more accessible services? Um, how low can we go in terms of price while we're maintaining the same quality of care? And how to go about doing that? And and, you know, humanity has only come up with a handful of ways of making things cheaper, making things higher quality. We, you know, we, we have um, and, and technology has been one of the primary drivers to make that happen. So the goal at the time was to see how accessible uh, we can make mental health services and, and, and as well, you know, how how uh, how higher quality we can make that black box. I started off, to be honest, within the public healthcare system, trying to change things in a local hospital, in various leadership positions, and um, and there are a lot of reasons why I kind of at the time felt that that was not the path that was going to be the highest yield. So then I pivoted, if you will, and decided to to say, um, what would this look like if I were to build it from ground up? And, and what could that look like? And um and it was it was five six years of a of a lot of learning it was it was extremely educational learning, uh, both in terms of of the healthcare landscape the digital healthcare landscape the private uh, healthcare landscape, uh, and also the international scene and so on. So it's, it's it was an exciting uh, six years for sure. Got it. So without
1: getting too too in the weeds, I,
0: can you talk a
1: little bit about sort of you said. You were in sort of leadership positions. You did it within the public system. Was that in mental health care, or that was just sort of leadership positions at large? Or this was in that space trying to make the change? And what I'm really interested in, without getting again to the weeds, is what were sort of the big, big barriers that you noticed to that system versus kind of going on your own.
0: Uh, I mean, healthcare is a is a mature industry, and there are both pros and cons to uh, you know mature industries, and. And And within the public system as a whole, uh, it, it doesn't it, you know, there are there are factors which sustain the system from a system's perspective, and uh, there are feedback loops that maintain things. There are cultural aspects that are extremely difficult to overcome, uh, physician culture being one. Um, and and I and you know it's one of those things where um the the speed at which you can bring about change, uh, although extremely valuable and would impact a lot of lives, uh, is also um, tends to be slow, highly political. It's, it's hard to know. So it, as an individual kind of trying to decide how can I best serve my community in terms of the energy and time that I spent, at the time I felt that was unlikely to yield any long-term results that would make a substantial difference.
1: So, as you're kind of going down this, let's just say, more traditional path of trying to work within the system, taking leadership positions, probably organizing various programs, community based, hospital based, as you're kind of hitting these barriers, was there an aha moment where you kind of conceptualized ink blot, or was this just a sort of gradual evolution of the path I'm going is no longer going to work and I need to look somewhere?
0: No, I, I I would say it's always been a, everything in my life's been transitioned. I, I I guess I'm more one who tapers more than suddenly switches. So it, it's, you know, it was continuing that down that path and doing what I can at the same time, um, exploring uh, this avenue, looking and, and learning, you know, because every new thing you do, you also have to learn a lot of things along with it. And, and there's a lot of humility that comes with knowing that what you don't know. And not knowing what you don't know and 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 exploring these things so you know it, it was uh it was quite organic in terms of my path of saying what other thing could I work on to try to address this separately and as one um you know kind of started to become more more effective kind of winding down other aspects I would say that has been my approach in 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 all aspects, whether it's been in, in how I approach problems or how I build companies, it's, it's all been very similar.
1: Got it. So, I, you know, we've had a couple of physician slash entrepreneurs on the show before, and I'm always interested to sort of understand their framework for balancing clinical and entrepreneurship. Those are two very heavy full-time duties. When you started Inkblot, how did you balance that? I mean, did you have to hire a co-founder to work full-time? Was this something you guys agreed to work full-time together? Was it a full-time team? Like, How do you how do you balance that transition? Because it's hard just to turn one off and turn, you know, unless you completely want to give up clinical and just say, I'm going to be an entrepreneur from now on. But the taper is hard. How, how What framework did you use
0: for that? Yeah, you know, uh, Adam Grant has a great book called Originals, in which he kind of dispels the myth of the most successful startups being those where you know the founders are hundred percent in on day one, and oftentimes the most successful startups are those where people have full time jobs, and have their side hustle, and they're able to do that. So that that's that's the part of their life where they're taking the and are able to practically take risks, um. And and you know the the kind of the more stable part of their life is enabling that to be the case. So you know for me, if I did not have a clinical job. At the same time, the, the the company would not have made it past the first three years. Health startups are, are very difficult. And if you have no way of funding your startup, of bootstrapping well, if that's the only thing that's going to allow you to pay your mortgage, it's just not going to work out. So um, in many ways, although it is stressful in the sense of, you know, you have many to-do lists and many things to deal with, at the same time, um, it is that stable part of your life and career, and and the luxury of having that option that most founders do not have, um, that allows you to take bigger risks and to really think more long term. Um, because most founders, you know, if you don't have revenue in that first eighteen months, you're not going to make it. It's just you're not going to get funding. You're not going to make it past the door. And health startups takes five, 10 years before really maturing to a level where you can get larger contracts and so on. And, and you know, and and so those those barriers require that level of stability, and, and in life as well as a, as a founder, if if you don't have other ways of of feeding your family, you're going to be extremely stressed. You know the the level of anxiety that you're going to deal with is very different than if that is not a worry you have, and this is a thing you truly believe in, and and you're bringing meaning to the world with it. So I I it's hard to say, but I I, I think it is. Um, Something that if balanced well tends to be a lot more successful. The caveat being, of course, that's not how investors would necessarily see it.
1: So, right. a, and that's that's what I was going to yeah, get at. Yeah, there's a exactly. lot of layers that go that? into
0: that because that dogma still will will haunt you. So, you know, you would still need to kind of plan around that or find loopholes or, you know, make sure that you know you you've tackled those aspects when when needed. Um, but it's it's one of those things that I felt was helpful. The other thing to be honest with you is that the satisfaction that you get from a clinical care from, from connecting with a patient and helping them and is very different than than a than a life satisfaction you get from um, you know employing people and managing situations and building product. The, you know the skin in the game scenario is very different. And and so they're very different kind of types of um, you know career satisfaction that one gets. But Nonetheless, physicians do somehow think they're not people. You know, they have often sacrificed so much of family and life um, in in the pursuit of career um, that that could be a huge blind spot. And um, many a marriages and families have fallen apart for physicians, and not to mention you know addictions and suicides, um, because the the career part have have not been part of it. So. You know, the, the other part of the story is that we're grown-ups. So we still need to kind of think about our family dynamics. We still need to think about the people that care for us and we and we should be caring for more and and making sure they get mind space, not just time, but literal brain neurons firing, thinking about them on an active basis. Yeah.
1: And I think you brought up a couple of good points. Um, yeah, I I, I didn't read Adam Grant's originals, although read excerpts, and, and I guess his biggest regret around that was the Warby Parker investment that he met from his students, right? Who who weren't all in. Which then gets us to the second point, because I think you hit the nail on the head. Investors often look for being full time as a signal that you're all in, right? That there's nothing going to distract you along this hard journey because it will be hard. What things, as you kind of went through your journey, kind of alleviated some of their concerns? Were there tricks that you used? I mean, when I say tricks, I don't mean that in a bad way, but what did you use to convince investors to say, listen, I'm here X hours, I'm not doing 80 hours, but here's how I'm making up for that. Were, were there certain kind of tools of the...
0: Yeah, it's it's a, so the, um you know, for me, for example, one of the, um, so I, I actually, what what we did, which is a bit unusual, is that we switched the CEO hat uh, for our seed round. um And so, you know, it was clear that investors would not invest unless the CEO was full time. Um, and I felt that it would compromise the company if I was full-time to be honest um, and I and and you know I I and, and the other bit I'll add is that founder CEOs often have a blind spot because they're control freaks um, in general you know owners operators are control freaks um, but it's worse when you're a founder CEO and a clinician um, and and I saw that in other companies where the the founder CEO was the bottleneck to the growth. When I looked at other health companies, oftentimes that need you know to to be the Michelangelo doing that beautiful painting, um, it was was the obstacle to really enabling the team to independently do things. And um, and so for me it was also really important to not have that role for a period of time, and and understand and and you know really own other parts and and so on. So. Um, you know um it it's it, for me the label and the title doesn't mean much it's all made up um and so the the and and for for round, um especially in the later rounds not early rounds but later rounds for sure kind of being uh full time is a huge deal to investors um and um and and you know we found ways of of making sure they were comfortable with those aspects
1: okay that, that, that that's that's interesting. Sort of switching. I, that's I gives it gives gives more support to having a co-founder because it's hard to you know with an n of one founder it's hard to switch with anyone. So so that's really interesting. Um, that's fascinating. So one thing I'm really interested in. So when you were doing Inkblot, mental health. I mean, you can say this about healthcare writ large. It's very fragmented. Lots of providers, lots of access to get in. I think mental health care kind of takes that to a different level. You know, do you get mental health care from a social worker? Do you get it from a GP psychotherapist? Do you get it from a psychiatrist? Do you, so many ways to come into the system. How did you decide where to start with Ink Blood? How did you decide which target market was the one that was going to be successful or give you traction, or was it just you know trial and error? Trial and error.
0: Yeah, I I don't know. If, uh, so definitely, the company five years later was very different than the company uh, envisioned on day one. So uh, and and I'm happy that that was the case. It would be silly um, for for me to have just stuck with the original plan. Um, the 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 and and the goal, you know, I looked at kind of what is the expensive part for my patients and the, the mental health counseling. The private sector was was the most um, expensive and also the biggest mismatch. So there were all these. Um, um, you know, very experienced providers. Seventy uh, percent of them unable to work full time because they didn't have enough work in the private sector. While in the public sector, we have thousands of patients waiting a year or two or never ever getting any care. Um, and so for me, it was a clear imbalance. That that you know, the question was, um, can you can you find a way of of making the private sector more accessible to the public sector? So that was the original focus. And the, the question was, is there a market that's being ignored when you do that? Can you, you know, the blue ocean philosophy of trying to see whether um, there's something that's not being seen here. Um, and that, that strategy changed as we as we layered on B2B, as we layered on other aspects, as we went, you know, international, um, different markets, different solutions, et cetera. So um, it, it was, you know, I start, we started off kind of saying, what is, what, what is the, the cleanest solution here? that, you know, so we, our goal was to deliver twice the quality of care at half the price We were to accomplish that initially, but then other questions, other, other goals came along that we had to address and and work on. So I, I it was a starting point, but as with anything, the, the starting point should be very different than the more you end up at the end.
1: I think you hinted on, but I just want to double click on it for a second. Did did you have sort of originally, and obviously this morphs along the journey. But did you have a grand vision originally? I mean, from start to quote unquote finish, whatever finish might look like for you, about what that roadmap was like, um, and that changed over time, or was it just you know what? I'm not sure where this is going to go, but I know for maybe the next six months what I'm going to do, and then we'll stop and we'll reevaluate and course correct. Because because I know there's some founders who come in here with big grand visions, and and you know they 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 know what their north star is, and they may or may not get to it, but they're very clear what they want to do. And there's others who just want to sort of solve the immediate problem and then adjacent markets start to open up I'm just curious sort of from a healthcare men, mental health care what you did
0: which model kind of did you use work for you for sure uh, so so my the initial goal was to provide the highest mental health care possible for free to as many people as possible so the goal you know was the the the, the, the poorest of the poor in the population providing them the best care the better care than what is currently available to the richest person on the planet. And that was the initial goal that changed. So as we continued, that um, vision actually became much larger. So it became how do we not only do that, but we empower others to do that, other organizations to do that. How do we do that in various sectors internationally in different markets? How do we do that um, with all the other factors that are associated with mental health, financial difficulty, physical health, and so on? Um, so as, as the, uh, you know, the, the vision initially was accessibility and really focused on accessibility and quality care. And then as, as time went on, as, as I learned more, as the company grew, it expanded from there to other, cha- other large challenges. And, and those challenges persist to this day for, for all companies in this space. So it's not something that we've solved, but those were the goals that we were going after. I think it's important to have a vision of how the world may look different, you know, when when you and what you're building towards the world you're building towards, without having defined the specifics of the solution, because the specifics of the solution are often the wrong ones, and that will that that will lead to immediate failure if not delayed failure, and but if you don't have a sense of what you're aiming for, um, at at a grander level, you will also make decisions. That are based on financials, based on investors, based on infinite number of mentors, and yeah. and and those are not necessarily um why the, the 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 team um is is working on something.
1: Right. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, you, you mentioned international markets. How many markets was Inc. blot in? Sort of by the time you guys, you know, you you personally maybe exited. I'm assuming Canada, U.S. I don't know if you're in any other markets.
0: Yeah, we're Canada, U.S., and then we're also serving um, the, the European markets, although to a limited extent, depending on, depending on the population, and, and then some other markets um, internationally. But again, not, not in, in different layers, more in the B2B in particular channels. Uh, and, and I'm not sure what, what the situation is today.
1: Yeah. no, And, and the reason I ask this, is I'm, I'm a bit curious, It maybe sound like a very sort of superficial, dumb question, other than reimbursement Did you notice any difference between how the markets accessed mental health, what they thought about mental health, or was, you know, I assume the U S and Canada in terms of consumers, um, their, you know, their, their ability to access technology for mental health, how they felt about it was probably similar, but as you spread beyond North America, did that, did that change? Did you get sort of different reactions out of consumers when they were accessing your platform or was it pretty well, mental health is mental health?
0: Um, you know, the, the, the thing that, that, I guess a, a, one way of putting it is that although, you know, there's a, this huge cultural aspect surrounding um, what mental health means and so on, for us, it was less of a concern simply because the providers were also regionalized. So m- what mental health means, so c- the U.S., for example, in my brain is about six different regions and they all have very different cultures. And, um, and, and a, you know, a provider from, from one place would not necessarily, even in the same country, be able to provide robust care um, you know, and and so um, for us, it was less of a concern because we had cultural matching creates far better mental health services. And so part of us was, you know, we had 20 languages within the first month because our goal was to really bring people in connection with those who really understood them. One of our premises was that relationships heal and to have a really robust relationship with your provider, you really need to feel connected. You need to know that they understand what it is at a very instinctual level, and um, and so that was a that 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 for us was a large part of improving quality of care.
1: Got it. So I know I should do this a bit. So I'm picturing Inkblot, and, and please correct me as as basically a marketplace in the original instantiation. Maybe not in 2021, but originally it was about a marketplace where consumers could access mental health providers of all sorts is that and and provide the platform upon which to do it and maybe collect the data or maybe you can sort of give us
0: a for sure high level overview of what what it was originally and again yeah and obviously morphed as you said so we did uh, so the initial underlying core if you will is a marketplace and you know again humanity has only created a, a handful of successful business models and if you go back to venice the marketplace is one of them digital marketplaces have gone through several versions so um you know obviously Amazon's a marketplace. Airbnb is a slightly different version of a marketplace. And in healthcare, you have kind of the third generation of marketplaces where you have a lot more curation, you have a lot more quality control, you have a lot more service on top of that. So there's a layer on top of that. And for us, we also wanted to, to you know, um, marketplaces have a lot of power and strength in terms of scaling and in terms of adapting to ups and flows of demand and so on. But at the same time, there are challenges in terms of quality of care. There are challenges in terms of um, pricing, uh, if you have different price points and so on. So there's all these aspects that play into it. So our goal was to um, have a model that allowed for, for someone using it, feeling that it's not a marketplace, feeling that they're you know a traditional healthcare startup uh, clinic, while at the same time um, having at our core a marketplace and allowing us to scale very rapidly with lower operational costs, so and i and I do believe that the new the new generation of marketplaces are following this model more and more. um so it's far more of a, mur- a curated marketplace uh, with a lot more restrictions and confinement and and vetting and and process control uh, than very than traditional marketplaces
1: and and was that your kind of original vision of the business model is to create to you know a business um, a marketplace to sort of um Load balance—that supply and demand—because I guess that was your that was your premise of what was wrong with the mental health care system, right? Was was that, t- in terms of where those supply and demand issues where they weren't always aligned, and so a marketplace maybe unlocked some of that value? I'm just wondering, was that initial? Yes, or was that fell into I, it. No.
0: no, that was that was definitely part of the the initial plan, um, especially because you know within the first I would say two months we went national, and then we started to work on the international scene. And there are only a few ways of scaling rapidly and being able to meet demand across in, in healthcare where it's, it's very regulated and regional and there are all these factors that play into it, time zones and so on. So it was definitely part of the... And, and in order to have you know, 20 different languages and, and various gender genders and, and, and so on and, and allow for that robust matching, you need a large number of providers. And really there are very few models that allow you to do that.
1: And as you're doing this matching process, there's a sort of traditional healthcare system that's kind of trying to provide similar service along with you. Did you ever interact, other than the individual providers, did you ever interact with these, you know, I'm going to call them hospitals, I'm going to call them sort of mental health programs. Did you ever integrate with those? Or was this something that you consciously stayed away from? Because of just, you know, they can either... Help you, or they can suck you in and kind of bring you within their model, and the whole thing dies. I've seen a number of startups sort of try and do that, and they just don't have enough momentum to keep going. And it just—it's a slow death. Um, by the time they make their decisions, by the time they figure out where you fit within their model, they run out of—they uh, run out of cash. So I'm just curious how you thought about that.
0: Yeah, we stuck with the startup dogma of avoid the public healthcare system until until you're large enough. You know the the public healthcare system is a large whale, and it's the worst whale to try to catch. Um, it it especially in Canada, there's there's an allergic reaction to the private sector, and and I get it. I I teach evidence based medicine. I spend half my time trying to avoid pharma's influence, so I totally get it. So there's a and and you know if you're a large organization, you're more than happy to utilize the energy and and the innovation of smaller startups and and drag your feet as long as you can. Um and, and you know the so so for us really the focus was what does the private sector look like and how can we make it more accessible to the public sector. I'm not saying we didn't we had lots of conversations, um, but again, it's it's essential in those first few years of a startup to have revenue, to grow that exponentially, to have repeatable sales. And although those LOIs and conversations initially are helpful, they will um they will suck up a lot of resources and you will not have the revenue to allow you to do future rounds. So, you know, the the rule number one of as a startup is don't, don't run out of money. And you, you really want to make sure that, um, you know, if if you're running the company that, that you you have a strategy around that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you see that paradigm changing anytime in the near future, given, you know, where, when you started and where we are today and the, Let's say the attitude towards sort of digital healthcare is very different. Do you see the traditional system changing, or is that really ossified within the system that the ability to move quickly, the ability to sort of integrate small, rapidly evolving startups will 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 take on a different life going forward?
0: I I, I personally don't. And in some ways, the the exact same thing is true in the private sector. So if you think of the public sector as just a, a large company, um, you know, a large, a private company will not interact with any healthcare startup that hasn't been around for five years. So it's like the, the first thing in that ROI and on and that, and that RFP, right? Like, um, I, and I understand, um, you know, for them to spend a year working with you, building a contract, launching, and then you're not around two years later, you know, when we signed on cities and at, around the end, you know, we signed on several cities, we signed on, you know, the Toronto police and, and various hospital systems. So when when the staging was right, it makes sense right. because, you know, it takes a year to build that. But when you haven't been around for five years yet, they are taking a huge risk. And I get it. No, you know, no VP is, you know, as they say, you don't you don't lose your job by going with IBM. And as they used to say, and they shouldn't yeah, say that anymore. But it yeah. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where the public system is is a large organization and, and they have to be wary it's tragic in many ways that there's no marketplace for innovation, but for sure it, it is pop. It is one of those things that's to be expected.
1: I think you're, I think you're sadly right. I I you know, would have hoped that uh, this might have been a wake up call, but I think you're absolutely right that it's a, it's a hard, it's a big system to change. Right, it's like moving the Titanic. It'll take a while. So I'm a physician. You're a physician. Data is very big in our world. Um, in medicine, unfortunately, what, what I've noticed sort of from a practical perspective as well, where there's data all around us, we have incredible difficulty trying to capture it, um, even in the traditional system and present it in any meaningful way or or really lead it uh, or let it lead us to better healthcare management other than maybe a systematic review, which comes out five years um, post to say we, we had done things wrong. Mental health care there's not a lot of objective data. It's a very subjective field. Uh, I'm in pain medicine. I have sort of some similar issues with regards to you know pain scores. They're very subjective. How did Inkblot capture data and use that in your model? Like were there to, to sort of, to continually improve care? And does that look very different than, let's just say digital healthcare apps in the traditional things, let's just say hypertension, CHF, whatever, where you, you have very objective measurements. Um, so what did you use and how did you sort of evolve that into a continuous sort of product improvement and and, and watching how your target market is doing?
0: Sure. I have a, I have a lot of thoughts about this. I spent a lot of time thinking about data. The, the first bit is that I'm not convinced that subjective data is any less valuable than objective data. If someone feels they have less pain or feel less sad or able to do more, that is as valuable as them having less heart attacks and less strokes. I don't like To me, the, 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 you want to measure the right thing, um, but I, I'm not convinced that user-generated data is, is any less valuable as long as you've validated it and you we have a solid sense of what it means. And in fact, I would say a lot of the objective data that we capture in medicine is because it's easier. So we, you know, we measure um, you know, PFT findings. We don't measure how short a breath someone feels. And that probably correlates better with how likely they are to work and exercise um, than what their PFT shows because you're... So we will get into that later, but um, for us, the the first thing that we did was to measure the effectiveness of care providers. Um, And that is something that is lacking. You know, my, my patient comes to me and says, hey, can you send me to someone for my joint replacement who has the best track record for range of motion? That is not captured anywhere. I can see why the patient cares. I have no idea who that surgeon is. None of the surgeons know, none of the hospitals know, none of the healthcare system, no one knows. Impossible to know. Um, and, and so for us, the first thing was, how do you measure um, the quality of care that a provider provides in a way that is consistent with how providers think and are and, and care for others? um that you know it's been done in healthcare but it's done in very antagonistic top down managerial ways and 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 healthcare providers have a very negative reaction to that to that sentiment so the first thing that you know one of our big innovations was to do that right was to um really really spend a lot of effort understanding how you measure effectiveness um in mental health when when someone could just be stressed because of a relationship issue and somebody else could have you know severe schizophrenia and, and how do you generalize across that? And um and and, and create feedback loops. Um marketplaces' power comes from data network effects. Um, you know, the reason we go to Amazon is because of the ratings. Because, you know, it's not that the website's magical looking, it's it's just because it there's trust. And so data network effects are 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 were massive in terms of our value and how we were able to continue um in terms of Improvement in quality of care, as well as um, our matching process, and 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 bringing those feedback loops uh, in, uh, you know, reducing the lag time as much as possible. So, um, and there are many other ways of of using data, um, both in terms of the service being provided, as well as in the um, to the end user, as well as to the employer or or you know whoever the third party payer is, etc. And those are often different data sets and different values in healthcare at large we are horrible at it. I'm pretty convinced most of the healthcare data we currently generate is, is more or less useless. We, we don't know what, what works and what doesn't. So, you know, all the health records will show that we prescribed this or did that. No one then knows whether they worked or they didn't. Um, you know, if I see someone and I give them something, they may feel better. Was that just because they started to feel better? Was that because of what I prescribed? How long? should? I? And, and what we do is we do these clinical trials in a That are often pharma-funded in a small group of people that don't represent in any way the real patients we see, and we don't actually have set up a system to to collect data on the patients that we see and how well things worked out, and and we somewhat don't want to know, and so we don't have outcome data. So we we not only you know the the not we're not learning from the care we're providing in anywhere near maximum what we could be. Um, and, and so we don't actually know oftentimes what works, what doesn't work, it's just purely cultural and us, you know, the latest thing we read about. And then we, we and, and, and so that, that's separate completely from obviously the logistical aspect. Um, if I said, hey, in your hospital, what does the modeling show if you change the emerge doc shifts from this to that? No one's ever created a model. We don't have IoT devices attached to beds to see how they travel across the hospital and what happens to them. Like, there's so much um, lack of focus on data and recording the right data and, and, and understanding it that it's, it's, it's tragic in many ways. We collect data, but it's to me, we have a long way to go of, of kind of really thinking about how to do this differently. Yeah.
1: No, I completely agree with you. I mean, again, I'm in an academic center and we are. We're not we're not awesome, but we're pretty damn good at collecting flow data, i.e. bean counting. How many people came through? How many people exited? How many people were lost in between? But we have absolutely no idea how those people did in any of those kind of cohorts, right? I mean, all the people kind of, you know, who fell through might have actually did really well. Um, and those ones we didn't touch, And the ones who kind of go out the back door could have done poorly. So I think you're absolutely right. Do, do you, is it the startup scene that's going to change that? Or is that going to happen from inside out? Meaning within the healthcare,
0: again, uh, I had my- yeah. You know, I'm not convinced the startup scene will make that happen, um, and, and that's because these are these are these are things that take a lot of time and and they require um, you know a, a focus. These are these are ten year time horizons, and I'm not even convinced the healthcare system will rise to that challenge that well, to be honest. Um, because uh, you know, the healthcare system, if, if the healthcare system was a, was a startup, it really needs to pivot. I mean, the the culture is toxic. It's running out of money. Uh, everybody's upset that the, there's the, you know, if, if you looked at this as a business, you'd be like, whoa, like we need to change. We need to pivot. We need to figure something else out. This is not working out well. I don't think it would get any funding or <laughs> at this point investor would say, no way <laughs> I'm touching this one. So I, I you know, um, I, I, I don't, I don't know where it will come from in the U S it's different in Canada, for sure. You know, it's much easier to simply, it's so po- political. But the but it but it really needs to. I am hopeful that it that it comes from the healthcare providers and the physicians and 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 groups that are that you know and a, a lot of magical things have come from from providers. And I don't know in, in how that will arise, but it is something that we really need to own. In, in the worst case scenario, it will come from pharma. It will come from the private sector, and they're super into it. So it's one of those things that I'm really hopeful that the that the team inside from from bottom up tackles this and brings this forth and says, "Hey, listen, like what are we doing here? Um this is not working out for anybody involved. The patients are not raving about the healthcare they get daily. There there there's, there's definitely a need for really doing things differently." Yeah. Now I tend to side with
1: you, but but you know from from just seeing things every day, I just don't think these incentives are aligned. Um, within the system, as opposed to when you go outside the system, um, I mean, you get control of those incentives and you can start to make them align, right? So that everyone gets something out of it. So I think that's challenging. So I, I want to move up sort of a step out and sort of back out a little bit and look, sort of look at the mental health space writ large, because the last 18 months has been, this place has been on fire. What's your, again, maybe sort of a very simplistic question, but what's your sense of why this has taken off from a consumer perspective, is it all about access? Is it about now I can get access with anonymity, which I couldn't? Is it simply convenience? I don't have to get off my couch to go to the healthcare physician. What has really sort of spurned um, the use of mental health care apps? You know, we can say demand is obviously one thing over the last 18 months. There's just a lot more anxiety and depression um, post COVID than there was pre, but even before that, this was sort of, there was, it was starting to take off. What, what's what's resonating with the consumer? Um, is, again, it's just access, or are there other things that are very relevant that you saw, particularly when you're running Incplug? Impl-
0: yeah, I would say there's several different kind of, um, you know, angles, so different vectors meeting. So, you know, you have a, a cultural change towards self-care and self-service. So, so there are fewer people who will pick up the phone and call customer support. They will Text message or message, etc. So there's there's or they'll search the helplines or they'll Google before they ever contact someone. So the in general, uh, th- there's more movement towards people trying to find solutions for themselves, uh, as opposed to turning to the the you know the experts initially. The second thing is that um, mental health care is the lowest hanging fruit to do virtually. Right? You don't. There's no stethoscope. There's no echo. There's no blood work. There's not. There's nothing. Just two people chatting, just like us. This, this could have easily been a therapeutic session so it's it's one of, it is for me so thank you <laughs> me too so it is so it is it is one of those things that's also from a technology standpoint um you know the least frustrating implementation there there has been a huge trend towards video um from all big tech over the last five ten years and every device kind of has video up in front so there's been a a cultural uh, adoption and comfort with video that has happened before COVID uh, showed up. So virtual mental health services, it, it was the lowest hanging fruit when COVID came along. All the mental health practitioners could no longer be in their office. It wasn't considered an essential service. You had everyone trying to figure out how to do things virtually. And so it—you know if you were there at that time, it's perfect timing. And and uh, it's also a lot operationally uh, lighter than than healthcare um, in terms of you know if you're doing nephrology or or other things it's just a lot more involved there's a lot more that in terms of kind of providing those services they're operationally a lot heavier um, so the so that that you know was was a given, and then, of course, demand exploded um, in, in terms of international. So and everyone recognized that um, there was, I would say initially a feeling that perhaps this was uh, just an early uh, crisis and things would normalize. and as and it became apparent that this was going to be the new way forward. Um, the last layer I'll add in there was that it changed how large corporations operated. And the comfort that they felt with regards to their employees. So a lot of healthcare in Canada and the U.S. is is funded by third parties. Um, it's funded by insurance companies. It's funded by uh, you know organizations and 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 companies. And if those companies internally are having physical meetings and are using telephone to talk, their human resources worries that they will have employees who are not comfortable with video or they're not able to use technology that well. When COVID came along, suddenly all those companies, all those insurance companies, all those large organizations suddenly had to do their business by video. And they came to realize that, you know what, all of our employees know how to use laptops. Um, when When we pitched to a city in Canada right before COVID, they said, you know, what about our bus drivers who are employed by the city? How are they going to use this service? And I said, what, like, do you think they do not have cell phones? Like, I'm confused by this question. And, and you know, it's, 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 these are things that they worried about. And, and you know, once, the, once everyone's doing it, the, 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 the level of comfort of sponsoring these solutions suddenly shifted it's it's
1: It's interesting to see where people's mindsets still are in twenty twenty one with regards to technology, but it does it does speak to a lot of issues with the system. so I, i'm I'm a huge big believer that digital technology is going to go forward. Um, we've talked about sort of mental health space in general. I, I, I still have this disconnect, though internally with kind of what I believe and what's happening to the market. So if you look at the numbers, you know, depending on who you quote, but the U.S. anxiety depression level has kind of gone up fourfold over the course of the last 18 months pro, uh, post-COVID. But the funding in this space is up 5x. The number of companies funded in the mental health space is up 2x. Um, there are seven unicorns now in the mental health care space, which I suspect if you asked anybody in 2010 whether that was possible, they would have laughed you out of the room. Um, and there are seven, you know, there's Ginger, Calm, uh, there's Modern, there's just a ton of them. Are you worried that we've you know, while this is good, we've come too far, too fast. And what do you think is actually going to kind of stick when we get to post COVID? Is all that going to stick? We're going to grow. Um, it's brought fantastic new attention to a space that's that's badly needed. It. What what kind of comes of all this? Is is your sense? You know, having kind of been in there and just sort of come out the other end. I just I'm trying to sort of square those two. Of what a fantastic thing that's happened. There's lots of exciting stuff to happen. And over the long term, I have no doubt it will. But in the short term, it's like, wow, everybody is chasing a lot of stuff in short order in mental health space.
0: Um, yeah, I would say I would say um, and, and, and we can even look at the digital health space in general there. There's definitely uh, a feeling that we are uh, starting to go into a health tech bubble and we all know what happens to bubbles. So there will be a reckoning uh, at some point. and And, uh, and there's, you know, there are these packs that have a time limit, a timer on them. and and um, so there, there's a lot of money floating out there. So there's a lot of us, you know, there's a lot of powder in that keg and, and it's all being spent. And, and to some extent um, the but, but uh, as you point out, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, there, there'll be all sorts of reckoning. There'll be all sorts of consolidation, um, you know, as, as, things start to dive downwards and and so on. in all of digital health, not not just mental health, I would say. The second thing is everybody's doing the same thing. and and uh, you know everybody is is I, I have seen many slides of differentiation. Don't get me wrong. everybody thinks everybody, uh, yeah, it's just it's just magical how those quadrants work out. So everybody feels that they're doing something different. that's that's necessary for for culture, within companies and and so on. But again, that that uh, that that is not reality uh, in terms of how people experience these solutions. and and, and, the, the, and I'm, I'm, I firmly believe we don't have the Google of the space yet. You know, before Google, we had a dozen different search engines. They all did very things very similarly, and no one remembers Alta Vista anymore. And you know, let's not even talk about Yahoo today, but they're all they're all creating a wrapper around traditional care. They're kind of saying, this is healthcare is being delivered how do we do the same thing digitally there is no reinvention of healthcare yet there we're not we're not saying we have these new tools we have this new way of doing things if we were to build healthcare from scratch what would that actually look like today because that's really tough to do as a startup those are those are you know those are the the difficult questions that involve politics and associations and and lobbyists and all sorts of reasons why those things are not tackled and so there are the 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 real companies that will, that will really redefine. I'm not, I haven't seen them yet. Right. So right now, you know, there's a lot of money being poured. I don't know how it will play out, but I'm not very optimistic about, um, and the reality is despite the billions of dollars being poured in mental health care before COVID, you know, even before COVID the, the, the suicide rate was doubling uh, every five years. So the, the, the solutions are horrible, they suck. We, we don't have good solutions yet. So in many ways, I think there's a lot of work to be done. And these are super early days. And, you know, this wave will, will you know, who knows which of these will exist 10 years from now. Yeah, you, you,
1: you so, had so many great points in there. So many ways I also think of it. Um, my, my biggest rant now is, is what I'm going to call still telehealth 1.0. I mean, when I'm in the clinic, I, I get constant complaints from patients sort of not seeing their primary care provider because you know it's it's a telephone call it's fifteen minutes they just renew their stuff and there's absolutely no other interaction um, and it's it's sad and my guess unfortunately I don't think I'll ever find this out because of our data conversation which no one collects it I I wonder whether we've absolutely exploded access but I'm not sure we've actually improved health outcomes and I would make an analogy to you know like some states where some people have more access to surgery than others but those aren't necessarily better outcomes. Um, in fact, you could argue they actually have worse outcomes because people are getting operated on who shouldn't. Is that something that you're seeing? And and if it is, do, is that unfortunately what may happen in sort of the mental health field, given what we just talked about, which all this money, people doing just kind of the same kind of stuff, improving access and not being able to sort of really prove that quality outcomes are being generated? And by the way, that's probably a little bit difficult because we don't have a, a comparison, right? I mean, I don't collect quality outcomes. Um, I suspect psychiatrists don't on a regular basis about how their patients. So it's a bit of a false comparison, but I'm curious what your thoughts are.
0: Yeah, it depends on on, on what ad accessibility has meant. So, you know, uh, I, I personally provide, you know, do psychotherapy and I would say that in person is very different for me. I, I'm able to read micro expressions. I, I, I provide very different type of care. Um, I think digital solution, but, you know, from an accessibility perspective, if someone was not to receive anything, you know, if the, if the digital version of that is 75% as good, it's worth it. Now, if that person was had the opportunity of either or, that's a very different question. So if the healthcare system's paying for one or the other, um, that is very different. Clinically, you know, there are, there are patients of mine that I would say um, doing things by phone or video is really all they need you know, they're worried about a rash. I can look at it, deal with it. It's all good. There are others that, um, you know, I, I should be doing house calls. They shouldn't be coming to the clinic at all. Like I should be visiting them, understanding their environment, providing um, point of care solutions that, that really are robust, you know, doing that point of care ultrasound, doing that injection, doing a blood work on the site so they don't have to go out. And then there are others that are best suited for the clinic. I don't think it needs to be one or the other, but I do think that we need to Collect better data, understand who is best suited for what channel, and and I have all the options available in a very robust way.
1: Yeah, that I, I think that's the ideal system, right? Is having an omni-channel system where you actually understand which door someone needs to go through to get the best care. Um, unfortunately, we're missing a lot of pieces today. Hopefully, they'll they'll kind of come in, right? So if someone wants, I'm just curious, if someone wanted to, as a new founder, new entrepreneur, come in and and tackle the mental health space, that's what they're committed to. They have a personal connection to it. Is there a, I know you said a lot of companies are doing the same thing, but is there a framework that you have for looking at the mental health space? It's not monolithic. There are different aspects of mental health care. There's, as you said, sort of there's self-management, there's CBT, there's market hooking people. Is there a certain framework that you look at when you look at the mental health space in terms of how you bucket these digital health companies in terms of what how they play, whether they you know what they actually delivered or not is differently, but in terms of what are the different buckets underneath that big category?
0: Yeah, for sure. So there are some who uh, I would say are you know it all depends on how much another human being is involved and in what way. So so some are fully automated and self care options and and. Uh, of various sorts, whether it's uh, CBT, whether it's uh, meditation and so on. There are others where there's somebody somewhat in the background and will respond to your thing, so guided, CBT, et cetera. And then there are those that are more, um, you know, in, in virtually in person, you're talking to someone, and then there are hybrid models of them. There are other services that include more collaborative care in terms of, you know, uh, financial advisors, legal advisors, and so on that they that are available to you. And then additional services that that will bring in the medical side. So medications and disability assessments, et cetera. So the, it's a full spectrum in terms of what's what's out there today. And depending on what you're looking for, each company's pivoting or adding or layering and so on. And often the, the differentiators are really just often the business models and, and how long they've been around and what kind of market penetration they have. There are some startups that are more focused. So there's some that are purely focused on addictions, for example, uh, or alcohol addictions. There are some that are focused on uh, musculoskeletal pain and the mental health aspect related to that or chronic care management and mental health aspect of that. So there's more and more of that um, that uh, are more towards um, specialized areas, if you will. Got
1: it. Are there any what I'll call them niche areas that are either overlooked or that you're excited about in the mental health care space that people are just sort of glossing over and you think could actually be really interesting and ripe for disruption, whether whether you define it by clinical domain, whether you define it by kind of technology delivery platform, whether you define it by, you know, um, geographical target. Market. I'm just wondering, is there any things that you're like, why isn't anyone tackling this within this space?
0: Um, I, I don't think there's any human endeavor that's not touched by by our mental health, um, and, and so there's a lot of space. So within medicine, ah, uh, pain medicine, for example. So there aren't that many chronic pain startups right now, uh, and mental health is a huge aspect of of chronic pain management. Um, addictions. Um, there's a you know there's a few on alcohol, but there's there's a lot of different types of addictions out there, and and the opioid crisis is a is a huge issue, and and um and you know there there aren't that many. In that space, and as well, if you look at mental health uh, from a from a comprehensive perspective, uh, if someone is going through a divorce, for example, they will have financial difficulties, uh, legal questions, mental health difficulties, family dynamics, relationship health. That could easily be a package. You know, couples counseling and couples care uh, could be could be is a whole domain onto itself. Right, just bundling these services together rather than having them separate. Exactly, sides. and you can so you can think of various life stages. You can think of various um, uh, healthcare, um, so diabetes care. If you add mental health support, the numbers go down half as much. Your hemoglobin A one C will improve significantly. If you if you look at and then and then of course there are populations you can look at. So indigenous mental health is a huge area that that is uh, ignored and and really needs to better better supports. There are. Uh, gender identification, uh, kind of mental health aspects that can be looked at. There are, so th- there's a lot of, um, and, and then there, uh, w- there's international subpopulations. So if you look at, you know, the, the, uh, immigrant population, um, their mental health may be different. If you look at, uh, physician groups, if you look at all sorts of, um, uh, subpopulations that you can consider. So, um, there's definitely no shortage of niches. Um, and, you know, if a founder is interested in those, it's always the the intersection of what do they know? And also the, um, if you're going to go with a niche, it, it's because you're, you're one word of mouth and the network effect to be stronger. And, and you know, how do you optimize for that? So there are aspects that go into that, but there's a lot of work and subspecialties um, that, that can be looked at in many ways.
1: Got it. That's a that's a great answer. It's actually a great segue to I'm Mindful of Time. So I've got a couple of more questions and then we're done, but... Um, Having so all that work to do, you started in 2015, you ran it for sort of six years, you've kind of probably hit all the obstacles and the majority of obstacles an entrepreneur can do. What is it in your perspective, looking back that sort of we as a Canadian startup community can do better to support sort of health technology um, entrepreneurs? To to innovate, like as, as a system, what are, what are we doing that maybe you struggled with, or maybe that you found was very good and needs to be ramped up? What's because we're probably not lifting our our weight that we should be, and, and I think that's writ large. We can argue about whether that is or not, um, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on having gone through that system. What can we do
0: better? Yeah, I, I think in, within Canada, the our, our healthcare system, which we can consider, you know, uh, a you know, a, an insurance company more or less really has no marketplace for innovation in a very clear-cut, robust way. So, the, you know, if tomorrow I come up with something that will reduce diabetes emergency visits by half, I will not have any way of, of getting funding for that if, in the private sector. Like, it just as a startup, it just won't, won't happen. The The public healthcare system will not really start conversations with me tomorrow. Uh, and I understand. So, so can I just start? So do you mean... A, just I want to be clear, so, so for the listeners, do
1: you mean in that kind of system, it'll be hard to get customers to onboard because of the traditional system or the investors just aren't interested in companies like that? It's, it's
0: more that things that are funded by the public health care system, um, it's difficult to get any additional funding for. So, for example, let's say that I find a, um, I have a solution that I can enroll out to various family doc offices that would improve care quality in a particular way. Um everyone assumes that clinics will pay for it and they don't because the the outcomes doesn't affect their revenue model. Um, right. it does heavily impact the public healthcare system's model, but there's no there's nothing there to enable that. Having, it's again about incentives not being aligned, right? Correct. So the, the there is a lot of, you know, Canada does work hard to try to support innovation. Um you know, there's a lot of various funds and so on. So I'm I know there's the, you know, the, there's money spent, but the healthcare systems, I think, can do a, a more, uh, there's a lot more work that can be done from a systems level um, to really enable and understand startups. And I don't mean just like fund startups for the sake of funding them or provide a market for them. Um, but you can imagine systems in which they have to prove themselves. There's a sandbox to play in. There's outcomes that are automatically measured. I mean, it's magical. The, the, if I show up and I'm like, I can reduce diabetes rate by half, Here's the rollout plan. Show that you can make that happen. You have this amount of time. it's a you know, we're gonna collect these data that we care about. Um, and, and these system solutions to to really accelerate healthcare outcomes, uh, would be magical and it will put Canada ahead internationally to such a great extent. The the amount of data you can automatically generate will be intense. And and that's not done. It's it's kind of haphazard. You have money being sent to various you know, startup. So it's a very much a traditional startup model of funding and and support. Um, whereas, you know, if you really thought of it as, how are we gonna, you know, if I showed up and I said I want to do point of care ultrasound to titrate diuretics for heart failure and avoid hospitalizations, there's no testing ground to prove that. I have to spend a million dollars convincing all sorts of people to to try this out and so on. It will save the healthcare system a lot of money and, and that doesn't that that's, that system is not in place right now. Got
1: it. Yeah. Well, we
0: we can we, we'll keep
1: working towards it, but those are, those are some great points. So just mindful of time, last question, the final one I, I I like to ask everyone is, you know, we're we're all about changing the healthcare system. We we know we can do better than we're, where we're we're at now. But you know, as as a clinician, you're a clinician, the reality is our system does some things really well today. As we move forward, I'm curious, what do you hope does not change about our current system and what do you want to make sure is actually brought forward into the future despite all this technology? What is good about our system that you just don't want to lose and, and why is that?
0: I, I, you know, I, I would say the most, the, the most magical thing that I see in healthcare every day uh, is, is, the, is the, the love that the healthcare practitioners put in the work that they do. Um, you know, they're they're the the how much they they advocate for their patients, how much they they um connect and and you know and and feel with their patients, um, and it's and I find it so tragic when I see that 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 you know flame die in in physicians and healthcare providers and and I you know they're like zombies doing the work for the sake of doing the work, um the The reality is that you know we we focus a lot on the medications and the treatments and so on. Most of them don't really do anything. We love the stories that we tell ourselves and, and do it anyway. But really, the most care that we provide is 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 the love for the patient. You know, when when my six year old falls and, and scrapes her knee, she knows it's nothing bad. She comes and she gets a hug and she feels supported. She feels loved. She feels like she's taking care of herself by doing that. And that's really the the most care that's being provided. That's what the healthcare system is emotionally doing for the population. We're we're providing emotional support, not the prescriptions we write, that they often don't do very much. And, you know, whether it's AI prescribing meds, whether it's a robot doing this surgery, whatever that part of automation happens, I really hope the healthcare system retains the emotional role that the system has in society um, and that, you know, the, the empathy that humans have are, are evolved to provide and we're really great at doing that brings us meaning is maintained and, and improved on, um, whereas I see that going the opposite direction nowadays. So um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think other people will probably voice that better than I have. But that's, I would say, the big thing I, I hope we don't lose over time.
1: Yeah, no, no, I, I think you're absolutely right because you're right. I see it all, all the, you know, every day as well. So it'd be interesting as if we bring more tech, our empathy level goes up. That would be a really sort of, I think, a win-win situation. So, so, uh, you know, we're winding up now. If people want to stay in touch with you, if they want to kind of keep connected, see what you're doing, see what you're going to do, see what you're up to, what's the best way to kind of keep connected with you?
0: Yeah, they can uh, probably the easiest is to is to connect with me on LinkedIn and 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 message me there, and uh, or e- email me and. Um, but uh, probably on LinkedIn and, and it'll, be, it'll be the easiest to, to connect. And I would love to hear from people. And if there's any way I can support their endeavors or um, I, I'll be happy to to. Do
1: oh, it's fantastic. Thank you again, Arash. I really, really appreciate your spending your time. Some fantastic discussions and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again in your uh, next chapter.
0: Thank you so much for the opportunity and best of luck with the work. Take care. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Reboot Health. I hope you found it insightful. Please join us again for our next guest as we continue to explore the fascinating changes that will take our health system into the digital age. Until then, stay well and stay safe.